hunter from Mars. His world and the vile menagerie of villains he must confront. Welcome to the 10th episode of the Idle Head of Diabolu podcast. I'm your host, Diabolu Frank. I've been involved in Marshmallow fandom since the late 90s, and I began a daily blog devoted to the character in 2007 from which this podcast derives its name. And in fact, this podcast exists to keep alive that blog once I stopped doing daily posts late last year. Now, you might wonder why this isn't the Martian Manhunter fan cast or something like that. And the reason is, beyond the fact that I don't want the responsibility of being the public face of Martian Manhunter fandom, I'm not just looking at exploring the character as a fanboy. I like Martian Manhunter a great deal, but I like to look at him objectively. I like to look at him critically. And I really want to advocate for his expanded universe. There are plenty of people who know who Martian Manhunter is from comics, from toys, from video games, cartoons. He's a well-known character in the sense of of being familiar to people through those presentations, but I really don't think that he's familiar to people as a solo hero. The character's been around for 60 years, about a third of which he has spent in a monthly solo feature of some kind, but not very many people are aware of that. They don't know that he has his own supporting cast. He has his own villains, so that's why I named the blog The Idlehead of Diabolu, because I don't want it to just be about the Martian Manhunter and rah-rah, love that guy. I want to make sure that we're increasing awareness that there's more to the Martian Manhunter than just that name, just that IP. And that's why I really look forward to this particular episode and participating in the Superblog team-up. The theme of this edition of the Superblog team-up is top tens, and it just so happens that this is the 10th episode. I thought that it'd be great to do the top 10 most important Martian Manhunter villains. Coming to you May 6th, 2015, Superblog team-up part 6, the topic top 10 lists. Official contributors include uh, Longbox Graveyards, uh, Top 10 Super Dogs, uh, The Unspoken Decades, Top 10 Avengers Moments, uh, In My Not So Humble Opinions, uh, Top 10 Avengers Sketches, uh, Legion of Super Bloggers, Top 10 Who's Who Legion Entries, uh, The Superior Satellites, uh, Top 10 DC Comics Titles That Ended Before Their Time, uh, Flodo's Page, uh, Ten Green Lantern Ring Slings that don't appear in modern continuity. Fantastic Versus, Top Ten Avengers Greatest Battles. Mystery Vlog, Top Ten Avengers Covers. The Marvel Superhero Podcasts, Top Ten Avengers and Age of Ultra Tie-In. Chasing Amazing's Top Ten Favorite Moments of the Chase. Between the Pages, Top Ten Wackiest DC Comics Covers. Bronze Age Babies, Top 10 Bronze Age Characters, Too Dangerous for a Girl, 10 Best Superheroic Hairstyles, Vic Sage via the Red Twist, Top 10 Comic Character Deaths, and finally, I'm the Gun, the Top 10 Best All-Star Squadron Covers. I doubt that very many people could name 10 Marshman Hunter villains, especially ones that are specific to the character as opposed to guys that he fought alongside the Justice League. And because I have a tendency to go for the deep-dive nerddom on this podcast, it would be very easy for me to, to really drag this thing out. So thanks to the Top 10 format, what I'm going to try to do is go through these 10 characters, giving them no more than a couple minutes each, give you a nice little overview, and God willing, maybe somebody who's working on the new Martian Manhunter series will listen to the podcast and take advantage of some of these great characters and great relationships that have not been explored often for decades. Now, I actually did a very intense very detailed top 10 list for these characters back in 2010. 
Those are available on my blog. I will link to it so you can check those out if you would like. They are heavy reading. Each one of these characters, eventually I would like to do a spotlight episode where I would probably read some of that material at length. But I want to keep this one quick and poppy. I wonder who got to decide what is the most important and how is that different from the quote-unquote best or favorites. While I am a fan of this character, I wanted to make a point of trying to look at the character's history objectively and find the villains that had the most impact on his career, on his course as a publishing entity in greater media as well. So these aren't my necessarily favorite villains. In fact, there's a one or two of these guys I dislike, but I have to acknowledge that they were important to the character of the Martian Manhunter, and that's why they're on this list. On the dark, war-torn planet called Apocalypse, home of the most evil being in the universe, his name is Darkseid. From the throne room of his castle, we hear him speak. I thrill to the sound of battle. My heart soars at the sight of destruction. I have already ravaged this once proud world, but it is not enough. I crave more power, but for the presence of the superheroes, I would control the Earth as well. They must be eliminated. In the number 10 position, I have Darkseid. I expect that most people know who this character is, an other-dimensional being of incredible power, part of a race of self-styled new gods. He is the lord of the planet Apocalypse, which is essentially the hell of the new gods. He was created, or at least first published, 15 years after The Martian Manhunter, and it took another 15 years or so before the two characters were connected. The main point of entry for these two characters interacting was the 1984-1985 Superpowers Collection toy line. Both of these characters debuted in animation between 1984 and 1985 in relation to that toy line. In the case of Darkseid, he was in the Super Friends cartoon. In the case of Martian Manhunter, his first animated appearance was in a Superpowers action figure advertisement, which would have surely run during an episode of Super Friends. This was the first time either one of those characters had broad visibility in the public. First time they were ever made into toys. Both characters appeared on merchandising. For instance, I have a couple of pewter figurines from a role-playing game that was related to superpowers, and both of them were in there. Because both characters were reintroduced to comic book audiences in 1984, and they both became mainstays of the DC Universe in the post-crisis continuity, they tended to appear in the same major events. Two in particular, the Legends miniseries, which was the first big DC event after Crisis on Infinite Earths, which Darkseid orchestrated, and the Martian Manhunter was one of the key persons to try to route Darkseid. The Justice League International team was formed as a direct response to the Legends event. And also Cosmic Odyssey, which featured a pivotal moment for the Martian Manhunter character and is one of the more fondly remembered events that Darkseid was a major player in. What really earns him a role in this top 10 list was that Darkseid was a key figure in the 1998 Martian Manhunter solo series, the only eponymous series that the Manhunter has had to run for any length of time that was not designed to be a miniseries or special. The writer John Ostrander decided to tie Darkseid closely into the origins of the Martian Manhunter character. And also, during the DC 1 Million event, it was revealed that Manhunter and Darkseid would be fighting throughout the millennia and that the Martian Manhunter would be the author of Darkseid's ultimate defeat. Wrong. Let me tell you something. There are doers and there are leaders. I'm in charge. 
the ninth most important Marshmaller villain is Professor Arnold Hugo, who debuted in a story called Wizard of 1000 Menaces. In it, he was an academic who used an experimental device to expand the size of his brain and his head, and he became a wannabe gangster gadgeteer to take revenge on Gotham City for neglecting to recognize his proud heritage. His family name was important to Gotham City. He fought Batman and Robin in his first appearance, and then in his second appearance, he moved from Gotham City to Middletown, USA, the main city that Marsh Manor patrolled, and this was the first story in which that city was actually named for the better part of, what, 10 years? Marsh Manor had been working out of an anonymous city. It was suddenly Middletown. John Jones and his other dimensional pet sidekick, Zook, fought Professor Arnold Hugo in that second appearance, and at the end of the story, Batman turns up to collect Hugo. In the 13 years, Marsh Manor appeared in the Detective Comics series as a strip. That was the only time Batman ever appeared in it. Hugo would go on to fight the Marsh Manor several more times, making him the second recurring villain ever for the Marsh Manhunter, the first being Monty Moran, the getaway king, who appeared in one detective comic strip and then turned up as part of a team of rivals for the Justice League in one of their early stories. It seems like maybe Gardner Fox just picked up a recent issue of Detective Comics, picked that one villain, used them one time, and then he never turned up again. Where Professor Arnold Hugo not only made the transition from the Manhunter strip in Detective Comics to House of Mystery, but he's the only villain to ever fight the Marsh Manhunter in all three of his key Silver Age periods. He fought him when he was still police officer John Jones and then once he gave up that identity and became a world traveler searching for a mystical artifact professor arnold hugo fought him during that period as well and then later still when marshman Hare adopted the identity of marco xavier and began living in europe to fight the international criminal organization vulture professor arnold hugo turned up there as well Plus, I just love that character. He's a gas. He's basically the Marshman Hunter's Lex Luthor, and he's got this nasty chip on his shoulder that makes him great fun. The eighth most important Martian Manhunter adversary isn't actually a character but a device and the namesake for this podcast, the Diablo Idol Head. This was an ancient Babylonian statue which housed innumerable monstrous threats which would be released at the full moon on a monthly basis. John Jones and Zook were tasked with trying to stop the creatures that came loose from the Idol Head and eventually try to find and stop the Idol Head from emitting these threats. The reason why the Diablo Idol Head is so important is that it killed the alter ego of John Jones in the final Detective Comics story and facilitated the transfer of the Martian Hunter and Zook from Detective Comics to their new home in House of Mystery. It also altered the formula of the series. The book became about these monsters of the month that the Diablo Idlehead would produce. John Jones, sans a human identity, would try to stop this creation. The Diablo Idlehead was also the first ongoing foe of the Martian Hunter. While I mentioned that Professor Arnold Hugo would turn up several times over the course of the Silver Age run, it wasn't consecutive appearances and it only began becoming a recurring foe after the Diablo Idlehead was activated. From that first Detective Comics story to the first House of Mystery story on through the about a year and a half or so run of the Idlehead being the main adversary of the Marsh Manhunter, he was basically the only game in town. It was the first time the Marsh Manhunter had that kind of threat that he couldn't wrap up in one monthly story installment. I'd end with you. <laughs> All right, dude. This time, right between the eyes. Prove it. 
The seventh Martian Manhunter adversary is another personal favorite, Brett, spelled B apostrophe R E T T. If John Jones is this sheriff that runs these nasty aliens out of his town when they show up on Earth, Brett is this cowardly, backstabbing desperado who strolls into town, making him sort of a perfect opposite number to the Silver Age Martian Manhunter. Brett's also interesting because he was the first Martian of a color besides green to appear in a strip. He has yellow skin. He's the only Martian to date to show up with yellow skin. Now, while it wasn't an issue necessarily in the story that he appeared in, obviously racial conflict became a cornerstone of the Martian Manhunter continuity. And to some extent, Brett introduced that concept into the strip. Brett also permanently altered John Jones's powers. Previous to the appearance of Brett, John Jones was actually active incognito in secret. He would often use his powers while invisible so that nobody knew that Detective John Jones had superpowers. But because of exposure to a chemical that Brett had in his possession, John Jones could no longer conceal his activities on Earth, which led John Jones to becoming a superhero. And this was just prior to his induction into the Justice League of America. Brett set up the circumstances by which John Jones could join that team, which was, of course, one of the most important events in that character's life. Brett's uh, no good, such and such, and just a fun character to put up against the stiff, upright Martian Manhunter. If Martian Manhunter is like Jack Webb, then Brett is like Jack Palance. Another thing I like about Brett, too, that separates him from a lot of the other big heavy-duty villains on this list is that he is essentially a coward. He's a big man so long as he's got a gun and the drop on a weaker foe, but he's not really the kind of guy who's going to face you face-to-face. All right, so I wanted to have a fire. Okay, I'm about to light myself on fire. The sixth villain on this list has probably the shakiest standing of any of them, at least in terms of his ranking and whether or not he would slide down the list at a future date, especially if more villains were created or other villains were elevated to better rival a Martian Manhunter. I'm speaking of the Human Flame. Mike Miller was a guy who built a fire suit out of his garage and decided to try to use it to rob banks. He's the first quote-unquote supervillain to fight John Jones after his public unveiling. He's the primary fire foe. Considering that the Martian Manhunter's weakness is fire, he doesn't actually have a lot of guys that he fights that have powers based in that specific element. So the Human Flame corners that market. He's the only major Silver Age return in the Marsh Manhunter canon. There are a lot of guys that the Marsh Manhunter fought back in the 60s and 50s, his glory days as a solo character, but nobody's ever brought any of those guys back and done anything major with them, except for the Human Flame, who was brought back for Final Crisis, where he was involved in fingering John Jones to die as part of that event story arc, which, of course, is one of the most major things any villain has ever done to the Marsh Manhunter. If you're trying to ask a random comic book fan if they can identify a single villain that was created too fight the Martian Manhunter, the Human Flame is one of like two that would be in any way probable that somebody could come up with. Although again, as the years distance from Final Crisis and its relative lack of impact, given that the Martian Manhunter was resurrected a couple of years later, I'm not sure how long that would have bearing. But one other thing that the Human Flame can lay credit to is he's the only Martian Manhunter villain to ever get his own miniseries, Run. I am Jessica and I will peel your mind apart! 
The fifth most important Marshman or foe is perhaps one of the most controversial rankings. I'm speaking of Despero, who for many people is the go-to villain for Martian Manhunter. And of course, these characters have a long history together. Despero is an alien despot who was defeated by the Justice League and has spent most of his career trying to reclaim his homeworld of Kalinor and probably a few worlds besides. He has a number of powers which have changed over time, but the primary ones are telepathy, psionic blasts, superhuman strength, and a high degree of resilience to the point of nigh invulnerability. Any damage he takes, he usually heals from quite quickly, even up to the point of being decapitated and growing a whole new body. Despero was one of the first villains of the Justice League. Marsh Manor was, of course, a founding member of the Justice League. Both characters went into limbo going into the late 60s, only made sporadic appearances in the 70s, and then they both had major revivals in the mid-80s. Their popularity high point was probably in the 90s, and both characters remain active today. They both remain closely associated with the Justice League, even though they'll go for years and years without actually doing anything with those teams. There is no villain that has been around as long as Despero, as an adversary for the Martian Manhunter, as someone who reappears over and over again. While they fought in the 1960s, their fights became personal in the early 80s when both characters were revived for a two-issue story arc in Justice League of America. And when Despero kept coming back to fight the Justice League, the one member that consistently was on the team was Martian Manhunter, and you just had this low-building personal enmity between the two characters, in particular because of the uh, well-loved story arc in the early 90s, which pitted the two of them against one another. On the other hand, Despero was not created to be a Martian Manhunter villain. He is a little bit too powerful for the Martian Manhunter to take on on his own, or at least that was previously the case. The New 52 seems to have changed that up quite a bit. Despero really can't be owned by Martian Manhunter. He's a Justice League villain first, and he's fought a lot of other people as well. He's this low on the list because he doesn't specifically fight the Marsh Manhunter. It's not his main thing that he does. I am a lone professional in a field of amateurs. I don't wish you any harm, but my presence here is motivated by man's purest emotion, greed. I would like to thank you for arranging this meeting of my congenial competitors. Gentlemen, how do you propose we play the game? I trust you can offer something a little more formidable. I feel on fire. The fourth most important alien Atlas adversary is Mr. V, a.k.a. Faceless, the mysterious mask leader of the international criminal organization Vulture. Now, while I mentioned that the Idlehead was the first threat that the Marsh Manor fought on a monthly basis as a key element of his stories, Mr. V was the first villain to be a character with an actual voice and motivations as opposed to a story device in the case of the Idlehead. So in that sense, Mr. V is the first true ongoing foe. And V forever changed the formula of the series. Before, Martian Manhunter tended to play John Jones, police detective, in his own strip, and he would assume occasional throwaway identities when he was pursuing the idol head. It wasn't until the introduction of Mr. V that John Jones adopted his second ongoing human identity as Marco Xavier and assumed other identities as well that were important to the story to infiltrate organizations. And so that aspect of the character, the Martian Manhunter as the spy and the shapeshifter, was put into focus through the Vulture story stories. Marsh Manor became a much darker, grimmer character over the course of those stories, which is an aspect of the character that it continues through to this day. Mr. V is the one who got rid of the supernatural elements of the series that were in place during the Detective Comics run and very much in the first half of the House of Mystery run, instead focusing on science fiction spy type stories. He's also the reason why Zook was punted out of the strip. Mr. V was only the second Martian Manhunter foe to fight the Justice League of America to remind people that Martian Manhunter did have a life outside of that team. Mr. V was referenced 
in the Superpowers Collection character card for the Martian Manhunter. He was referenced in the Amalgam event miniseries, which combined DC and Marvel characters. And frankly, the Vulture stories from House of Mystery are among my favorite Martian Manhunter solo stories. They're the ones that are the most easily recommended to people who hadn't read anything before, because in part, they most closely resemble the Martian Manhunter you know, as opposed to the vastly different character that appeared in the Detective Comics series. Strange, don't you think? Watching me and not saying anything? I don't mind. I always knew you were abusive. I do you, you do me. Aren't I telling you what you've always suspected? What you've always wanted to hear? What else do you want to hear? In spite of everything, I love you. I really, truly love you. <sighs> don't you know? <sighs> Can't you guess? You've seen who I really am. You've seen more than anybody ever. And the amazing thing is, really, all this time you never suspected. <sighs> I just wanted to say... Psychopath can still love somebody, can't they? Not that it's your business. The third most important Marsh Manor foe is Belle Juz, a green Martian Jezebel who was introduced after the destruction of Mars in the 1970s. She is perhaps the single greatest betrayer of the concept of the Great Evolution. That's something we've talked about in recent podcasts where my feeling is that Marsh Manhunter was guided by this idea of the Martian people being a superior people who had gotten rid of war, had gotten rid of crime. That was disproven in the series itself. But most of the Green Martians that turned up from that point onwards weren't really that bad, where Belgius was just full-on evil. She was someone who was willing to betray her own people, to betray the principles of the Great Evolution, time and time again for her own well-being for her own protection she was only the second major female martian introduced in the span of the series after john jones's mom she fought superman she's the primary surviving foe of the bronze age meaning that she was introduced in the 1970s she was still active in the 1980s and virtually nobody else from that period ever turned up again Belgez started the War of the Worlds in 1984 that led to John Jones coming back to Earth, to becoming a Just League member, to becoming estranged from his own people. Belgez was able to turn Marshman Hunter in the eyes of his people into a traitor through her own treachery. And that altered the course of the Marshman Hunter's life and career because around the same time that she was being introduced, a miniseries was in development called Jim, Son of Mars, in which John Jones would become an elderly mentor figure pushed into the background while Jim would take his place and be the hot new Martian on the scene. Because of Belgius and the Earth-Mars War story arc in Justice League of America, Jim, Son of Mars became Jim, Son of Saturn, and to a large degree has been pushed into obscurity, where at one point in time he threatened the existence of John Jones as an important player in the DC Universe. The scary guy's Malafa'ak. What's that supposed to be? An invitation. And now we're down to the final two, starting with Malefic, the Marshmander villain of the modern era. This guy is the evil twin brother of John Jones. He has all the same powers as the Manhunter from Mars, and he's just done every evil thing you can think of. He essentially raped John Jones's wife. He lobotomized their mother. He set up their father to die. In the modern continuity, he is the reason why all the Martians are dead, or the majority of them are dead. He firmed up ties with Darkseid, the 10th place ranking villain, and depending on how you view the story arc, he's the reason why Darkseid is involved in the Marsh Manhunter's origin story. 
As I mentioned, new continuity. The first time that the Marshmallows continuity was radically altered after his 1988 miniseries that negated much of his previous continuity was in this 1998 series, specifically in the story that introduced Malefic, which created a new post-zero hour continuity that continued until Flashpoint. Malefic's one of the only Marshmallow villains to take on the entire JLA and farewell alongside Human Flame, one of the only Marshmallow villains created to be a Marshmallow villain that anybody can name. And also as Malafa'ak, he was featured in the original animated movie Justice League Doom. He is the only Martian Manhunter villain created to be a Manhunter villain who's ever made the transition to an outside medium. There are no human flame action figures. There are no Mr. V trading cards. But Malafa'ak has appeared in animation. You know, it's an ugly business doing one's duty. But just occasionally, it's a real pleasure. With Malafa'ak out of the way, there can be only one number one, Commander Blanks. This is a character that had a huge, huge impact on the Martian Manhunter. For starters, he introduced the concept of retroactive continuity to the Martian Manhunter. If you look at most of the classic Justice League heroes, they've all had retroactive continuity applied to their histories. But inevitably, things spring back to those original stories. People always go back to the seminal works. The Martian Manhunter is perhaps the only major DC hero who has not gone back to his Silver Age iconic roots. His iconic form in the minds of most readers is his Bronze Age reconception, which began with this retroactive continuity. Because of retroactive continuity, Commander Blanks was made the first Martian Manhunter villain. This is the first guy who fought Manhunter, who led to Manhunter being exiled on Mars, which in turn led to his exile from Mars to Earth and his remaining on Earth. The reason given for why John Jones didn't just go back to Mars on one of the many opportunities he had in Silver Age stories was because on Mars, here's the evil Commander Blanks waiting for him. I should have probably said this at the onset. Commander Blanks is a white Martian who commands military forces for that race on the planet Mars in opposition to John Jones's green-skinned Martians. And when John Jones and Commander Blanks fought, John Jones lost admittedly through treachery, but he still lost against this character. Now, I mentioned green-skinned versus white-skinned Martians. The first story to ever make reference to there being two races of Martians was the introduction of Commander Blanks. While there was allusions made in the Brett story, that could just as easily be a simple coloring error where it was made text in the blank story, and that race war in Martian stories is a hallmark of Martian Manhunter tales. While Mr. V and Monty Morin appeared in Justice League, Commander Blanks was the first Martian Manhunter villain to have a major impact in a JLA story and reintroduced Martian Manhunter to readers through that story since his origin was changed and featured in a much larger venue than his former home in the House of Mystery or in Detective Comics. Blanks galvanized the league. In a second story that he appeared in in 1977, he was, again, retroactively made responsible for the creation of the Justice League of America. They apparently formed in order to stop Commander Blanks and a reign of terror that he was inflicting upon the Earth in pursuit of John Jones, his mortal enemy. Commander Blanks also inspired the first, again, retconned event of the Silver Age heroes. Not only do the people who formed the Justice League of America get together to stop Commander Blanks, but everybody else who was active as of 1959. Rip Hunter, Plastic Man, the Blackhawks, the Challenge of the Unknown, all these guys got together to try to stop Commander Blanks. 
following the Commander Blank story, Mars became militarized. Previously, they had just been, I would say, maybe a Eurocentric people. They were Mars. They were far away from America, USA, Earth. And they kind of, for the most part, lived in peace and harmony and everything was good. They had a little bit of crime and stuff. Marshman never would help with that. But they didn't have anything to do with Earth. They didn't have any interest in or designs on Earth. But after the introduction of Commander Blanks, they became militarized. They started doing stuff like trying to invade the Earth. They started fighting with each other with their great armies. He completely changed how Mars was perceived. Commander Blanks was also responsible for the destruction of Mars in 1969, which is the first time that happened, and of course is now one of the major plot points in all Martian Manhunter stories related to his origins and his people, which in turn redefined John Jones as a tragic character. While he became more grim and more dangerous to his foes in the Mr. V Vulture stories, it wasn't until his combat with Commander Blanks that he was directly responsible for the death of foe, which happened to be Commander Blanks. And this occurred because Commander Blanks had killed everyone that Marshman Hunter had ever known and loved among his people. And so most every other Marshman Hunter story to come out for the next 15 years was about John being messed up over his people being dead and what he can do to help them and what he can do to stop them from doing bad things after this traumatized lots decided to start invading everybody else. Commander Blanks was referenced on the Superpowers Collection Martian Manhunter action figure card. He was referenced in Who's Who. He was basically the biggest thing in Martian Manhunter's life up until the 1988 retcon that wiped out most of Martian Manhunter's prior history. So he's the one most responsible for ushering in the retcon in Martian Manhunter stories, and he himself was taken out by a retcon. But Commander Blanks remains a hugely important character in defining who the Martian Manhunter would be from 1968 onward. He's obviously the prototype for Malefic and some of the other lame characters that they've come up with that do the same sort of things to Mars that Commander Blanks did. And I just, I think the character's great. I think he's one of the most important characters to Martian Hunter's entire history, obviously. And he's a guy who's due to have a New 52 comeback. So I'm, I'm hoping for that. Your ego betrays you. Will you not listen to reason? This won't end well for you. We received retweets from Between the Pages, Bob at RJ Holmes123, Charlton Hero, Count Druncula. Darren and Ruth Sutherland, Eternal Rage, Fantastiverse, Flotospan, Illegal Machine, who added hashtag Hangin' Green, Keith G. Baker, Luke Dobb, Martin Gray, Marty Light, Nicholas Cormier, Odyssey Unleashed, The Penultimate, Randy Micah Smith, Randy Caldwell, and Siskoid. We also received favorites from Bob, Charlton Hero, Count Druncula, Darren and Ruth Sutherland, Ed Moore at Teal Productions and at Indie Comics Fan, Inigo Montoya at Urban Fantasist, Eternal Rage, Fantastiverse, Jacob Edwards at Man Punch It, Luke Dobb, Martin Gray, who added Why Frank You, not quite sure how to take that, Myth Making Etc., Nicholas Cormier, Odyssey Unleashed, Oscar Olalde, Patty Webb, The Penultimate Randy Micah Smith, Randy Caldwell, Siskoid, and the Top 5 Road Crew. If you enjoyed the Idle Hand of Diabolu podcast, you might also want to try the DC Bloodlines podcast, which will have a similar format and the same amount of me for now at least. It's not really being advertised as part of the Superblog team up number six, but you can find it on our Rolled Spine podcast link page. Or just run a Google search for DC Bloodlines, it comes right up. It's also available on iTunes. Podcast listeners should feel free to leave a comment on one of our blogs, either the Umbrella Rolled Spine Podcasts or the specific Idle Head of Diablo blog. Both are available quite easily through Google searches. You can also shoot me a tweet at Commander Blanks. That's B-L-A-N-X. Thank you for listening. <laughs>